0: So, we're in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16 this morning. The question is, what is your life? Now, the obvious thing to do, if you look at this, is the, the answer. So many times that a question is asked in the Bible, the answer is already given. Or the answer will follow quite honest, quite quickly. And that's the case here. Uh, that happens in James. However, I want to look at something a little bit different before we actually get to that point. of your life is a vapor... And I want to look and really ask the question, what is your life? We know it's a vapor. We know it's quick. We know it's short. But really and truly, what is your life? And there's an excellent lesson that's taught here in these few verses. And we're going to explore those. Before we do, let's look at James. Is James any different from any other of the epistles? No. What are they? They're instructions. They're instruction manuals. They give you the resources and the way, the plan, to get you from here to heaven. They tell you how to handle situations. They tell you things to avoid. They tell you things to do. The right way to conduct yourself out in public. And that's what they are. They're there for your instruction to tell you how to get from point A to point B. For us, the point B is heaven. There's nothing else that matters. So we use these as guidelines to conduct ourselves in our everyday business. And there's a wonderful lesson here, and it's not nothing that's going to be new to you. But let's go back and let's look at James. Uh, If we go to chapter 1, verses 2 through 18, what does he teach us? He teaches you how to face temptations. And what advice does he give? If you lack wisdom, go to God. Ask God. If you lack wisdom, ask God. Isn't that true? Isn't that instructional? In verses 19 through 27, it's be doers and hearers of the word. There's not just one. You're not just a hearer. And you're not just a doer without hearing properly the word of God. In 2, 1 through 13, it teaches you how to treat your fellow brother or anybody else that come, you come in contact with. We put a lot of emphasis, a lot of emphasis on what people look like, how they dress, how they get to work even, uh, church even. It's not a respecter of persons. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich and heirs in the kingdom? Nothing wrong with money. We'll, we'll prove that in just a minute. But don't put... All of your emphasis on people that meets your standard in your eye of what they look like, what they dress like, what they drive. 2, 4 through 26, faith without works is dead. Again, you can't have one without the other. Three and one, a really serious warning to teachers. If you ever teach, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You wonder why people put so much time and effort when they stand up here. Uh, it's serious business. 2 through 12, tame the, tame the tongue. It's not right for a man with one tongue to praise God and then turn around to curse man. Uh, 3 through 18 in chapter 3, true wisdom we're taught comes from above. 4, 1 through 10, we're taught how to uh, strife among Christians or when there's... Submit to God and he will, you, will, you and he will draw near to each other. Submit to God. 11 and 12, speaking evil of others, there's one lawgiver and there's one judge. So when we get to 4, 13 through 16, what are we doing? What are we covering? James is writing about a people who decide on their own some things. So let's read that. James 4. James four thirteen. through 16. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go in such and such a town and spend a year there and make trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is a sin. So let me ask the question first. Well, before I do, we got people that's deciding on their own. When they will do what it is they want to do, where they will go, how long they will stay there, what they will do, and what the outcome of their efforts will be. So is there something wrong with planning? Is there something wrong with looking ahead? Certainly not. Turn with me to Proverbs. Go to chapter 6. I mean, does God not want us to plan for the future? Inherently, is there something wrong with deciding those things? Proverbs chapter 6 and starting with verse 6. Go to the ant O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food and harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? when you will arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will, quick, will come upon you like a robber and won't like an armed man. What's he saying? You cannot, God does not want you to live with no motivation and no planning. That's not God's desire for you to live with no motivation and no planning. In verse 8 of that reading that we just had, Uh, where it says she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food for harvest, talking about the ant, the lesson. It's good to plan ahead. Why? If God's desire is for you not uh, to live with no motivation or no planning, his desire is for you to live with motivation and planning, watch 6 and 8 saying that uh, we should plan ahead for what reason, It's real simple. It's so that you'll have order and balance in your life. Why do I need order and balance? Because chaos eats your energy up. Chaos keeps you from focusing on things that are important. Chaos keeps you stirred up emotionally. You can't think straight. You're always dealing with the things that are tumbling around. Order And balance, motivation, planning, God's desire. Turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 27. 27 and 23. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. Well, there's nobody here probably that has herds and we're not around flocking And sure, herds of sheep. But it's the way that they counted wealth back then. Not the way that we count wealth so much now. But it's the way they counted wealth. So what does it mean? What's God telling us here? Pay attention to what? Your finances. Right? Order, balance, motivation, plan. Pay attention to your finances. Look at Proverbs 21 and 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty only comes to uh, poverty. There's nothing wrong with making a profit, folks. Planning and diligence can lead to a profit. It's okay. It's okay to make money. It's all right. Matter of fact, if you'll look at Luke 14 and 28, we kind of bring everything into... Together here, Luke fourteen and twenty eight. Luke fourteen twenty eight. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Okay, fourteen and twenty eight. Luke fourteen twenty eight. This is goal setting, all right. So what's he doing? He's sitting down and he's seeing if he's got the finances. And the wherewithal, I guess, to build a structure—it's—it's goal setting. I have a goal. I want to uh, build a building. Do I have the resources that I need to get this building done? Not necessarily out of your own money. Perhaps there's you know financing involved. But it's planning, and it's goal setting. It's motivation. It's God's desire for order and balance. In your life. How about 1 Timothy 5 and 8? You're set to take care of your own. So, how are you going to do that if you've had chaos, if you had disorder, if you haven't paid attention to the finances? Assuming you have finances, may not be your lot, which we'll talk about. You're to take care of your own. How are you going to do that if you haven't planned? Some of you, too early maybe, you're thinking. But uh, you've got, some of you have parents in this room that one day you're going to be responsible for. And if you don't, they're somewhere. You better start thinking about that. I know you're planning for your future. And you've got things that, goals that you're setting, I hope. Plans that you're making. But somewhere along the way... Those plans and those goals, you need to be thinking far enough into the future. Remember, order and balance, planning, motivation. You're responsible for taking care of your own. There's nothing wrong with planning. God doesn't tell us that we shouldn't plan. I just laughed when I looked at Frank because somebody's got to take care of him. I mean, God bless you, brother. I know. It's really the older one's responsibility. It's his problem. Sorry. God wants us to plan for the future. Planning, planning, planning. But let's talk about it. God's plan, God's will. Your plan, God's will. They go hand in hand. They're jointly connected. God's plan is there. But we have to discuss God's will. And it's bigger than us, isn't it? Much. We don't control it, really. In a way we do, but in a way we don't. There's only one way that this plan will succeed. You can look at your bank account. And you can determine whether or not you've got enough to survive on for the present and for the future. You can look around at what you've accomplished Look around at what you built, your little empire. You can admire what you live in, and you can admire what you drive. But if you're not careful, you're making the same mistake as the people in James were. God's teaching in the scripture is between two extremes. God's teaching in the scripture is between two extremes. Never setting goals and setting goals with no thought of God. Setting goals, setting goals with no thought of God. The problem in James 4 and 14 is what? God is not mentioned, God is not prayed to for those plans. No consideration. For what God's will was. So you've got plans. You have to make plans. So, how do you plan? What is it that you can do that puts you in line with what God's plan is and puts you within God's will in those plans? There's two different things, in my opinion one's concrete. One's solid. One's already been executed. The will part is how do I get there? How do you plan for the future? Well, let me say this. I don't know of anybody in here. Well, let me give you an example. In, in what I do, we have to plan. So there's a corporate plan. Somebody upstairs in the glass tower, they develop a plan. They say, this is what we want. This is what we want to do. We have to return every year shareholders profit. We have, to. we have to pay the shareholders every single year. And this is what we want to do. Well, that's broad. That's the big umbrella. So it starts to trickle down. It goes down to the next level of management. This is what we want to do. What are you going to do to get us there? So we've got all these divisions that that we have in our company. So everybody in there starts taking a piece of this and start looking at their part of the pie. So they develop a plan that works with this plan, with the overall corporate plan. But their plan's developed by going down to another level and going, this is what we want to do. How are we going to get there? What are you going to do to contribute to it? It trickles on down all the way down to me. Man, I'm just a rep. I'm in a territory. Guess what? I have to have every single year a business plan. Every single year. I have to develop, and it's up to me. I have to develop a business plan. I have to say what it is I'm going to concentrate on. What it is I'm going to do. How I'm going to go about doing it. Sound familiar, right? Everything that I'm doing. I've got to put into a plan everything I want to do or everything I don't want to do. I've got to put into a plan. Guess what happens next? We've come all the way down. Now we're going all the way back up. I have to stand in front of three people higher up than me. I have to present a business plan every year to three people who are absolutely going to chew you. You better be ready. When I stand in front of these people and I say, this is a particular segment that I want to concentrate on this year. You better be ready. They may come back to you and go, why are you putting so much effort into a segment that the indices indicates are not going to spend any money this year? You got to know this. They will chew you up one side and down the other. And it's for what reason? Well, I I used to think it was just embarrassing, but I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and it's a, it's a sweaty process for me. Doesn't seem to bother them too much, but for me, it is. You're standing in front, a group of your peers with a board standing in front of you and they start popping off stuff to you right and left. Why are you doing this? Why are you not looking at this? Well, if you're doing this, how come you're not doing that? Aren't those two connected? Just over and over and over. And this goes on for 20, 30 minutes. And it's just, you present it in five minutes and the whole time you're doing it, they're writing. You'll get through a slide. Go back to slide number five. I want to I question you about this. Hey, look, what, what are you doing direct and what are you doing it? Why are you doing it? It's, it's nerve wracking. And yet, I liken that to this ain't nothing standing in front of God. I don't know of a teacher here who doesn't have a plan when the year starts. They have a plan for the teaching year. I dare say, Kevin steps into a, a courtroom. He doesn't. Have, he he's got a plan in his head of how he's going to attack or uh, present his case for his client. He's done. Research or had other people do the research and they've gathered to him. So there's plan. There's plans that go on all the way from the lowest, all the way up to the highest. And, And you just can't get away from it. What's a good plan? Matthew 6 and 19 says, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust can eat and destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That's a good plan. My treasure is not here on this earth, is it? It's a good plan. None of it begins, though, without this. And there's comfort in these words when you read them. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 through 34, Jesus says, But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. What things? Comfort? Riches? A society where we all get along, where there's no meanness, where people are considerate of each other, comfort and ease. Now, that's not what's talked about. If we went back and we read those verses previously that we just mentioned, it's how to please God. What's being added to me? Eternity, a place in heaven. That's what I have. That's what I can have. Life living, uh, living the life that those lessons teach us in those previous verses prompts us to seek out God's kingdom and his righteousness. Then we all know that giving to the poor, that praying, true wealth, not being anxious, knowing that the Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask And not worrying about tomorrow and what will be added to us is greater than anything on this earth. Doesn't say don't plan. But it does say don't worry about tomorrow. Mark 10 verses 29 through 30. Mark 10 verses 29 through 30. Jesus said, truly, truly. I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children and farms for my sake and for my gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much, now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. What then's the plan? We are a plan. God wants us to be organized. We're to give all considerations for our plan involving God. How? How is it you plan for your future? Well, you got two futures you're planning for. One of them is uh, how to survive on this earth, how to get things. And one of them is eternity. The one that where you're surviving on this earth, the plans that you're putting in place for That. Are uh, should be driven by God and knowing God's word. There's a real art to making plans. There's people I know that are great planners. They know how to plan, and they kind of cover everything. If you've ever chaperoned a group of teenagers, there's always one parent that's in that chaperone group that has a purse about this big. And in that purse is everything but the kitchen sink, and every time something happens to a kid, they know to go to that mama, because she pulls out this purse and she pulls everything that she's got out of this purse, and you all know it, you've seen it. But there's a real art to making a plan for the future. What's the plan? What's step one in the plan? John fourteen sixteen. Step one. That's step one. John fourteen sixteen. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. You can't get to God unless it's through Jesus Christ. Has to be step one in your plan. Has to be. We have to consider God in all of our plans because God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. Have you planned for that plan? Let's talk about it. How? How is it that we have to consider God in all of our plans? Because God has a plan for us. What is there that we need to practice? And I I said that right. Practice. An everyday everyday obligation, consideration, motivation, plan. Every day. The first one that popped in my mind was this. Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5 17, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Rejoice without, pray without ceasing. And everything, and everything, and everything, In everything means in everything, no matter what your circumstance. Give thanks. For this is God's will for you. How? In Christ. How am I supposed to rejoice? Philippians 4 and 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice three and one. And Philippians says, Rejoice in the Lord. Pray without ceasing. If we did that, then God would always, I think, be in our plans. I'm reminded of a young man who was uh, uh, working with uh, some brethren in Australia. He was funded to go over there, and he, he went over and he worked in Australia. When he got off the plane, one of the brothers met him and said, Look, uh, I don't know what your plans were. We have plans for you, but we need to go see brother so-and-so. He lives way off. He's by himself. has a little little farm that he takes care of by himself. and He just doesn't get to see anybody because he's just continually working on the farm. You know, we see him at services, but he would just be thrilled if you come spend some, uh, you know, half a day with him and, and then another half a day and then we'll come back. So he said, sure. So they got in the vehicle and they went way, way, way out and they met the man. And... uh he started showing him around his plot. And he said, every, th- every time he would say something to me or he would make a comment about his, something, he would go, Lord, if that's, what, if that's what your will is. He said, every time. He said, I thought he was doing it for show. And he said, after a while, that night, we're sitting at dinner. And he said, I realized it, it wasn't for show. He's by himself. He went to God for everything. He said, half of the day, the next day, it was the same thing. His conversation was continually with God. So, so our plans should always be considering God. So we make our plans. We pray to God. And we say, if it's thy will. So is the will of God a mystery? I mean, is the will of God a mystery? I think sometimes we pray And we say prayers here and we say, well, God, if it's your will. So it's the will of God. I mean, we treat it like it's something mysterious. We treat it like we don't know what the will of God is. We treat it like it's somewhere out in there. And God, if it's, you know, if it's, you know, if it's your will out there, just let me know. Be your will. How cruel would it be for God to say, I want you to abide by my will, then not tell you what his will is. That would be cruel. That wouldn't be God. Now, God knows his will. We act like sometimes we don't. And yet you do. You're sitting here right now and you know what God's will is. So how does your planning and God's will work together? Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. Jeremiah chapter twenty nine verse eleven. Plan and will. Order or chaos. Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. Oh, that's comforting. God has a plan for you to give you a plan for a future and a hope, which you have through Jesus Christ. This shouldn't scare you, but it does. It scares me. God has a plan for you. Paul wrote in Galatians 1 and 15. God had a plan for you before you were born. But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God knew what Paul could do. Now, it's up to Paul to answer the call. But God knew, and God's plan included, Paul, who was a persecutor of the Christians, to preach to the, Christian, or to the Gentiles. God knew. God knows who you are. God knows that uh, He has a plan for you. And let me say this, I don't care what your uh, I'll get to that in a minute. I'm sorry. Defer to God's will by surrendering your will in Romans 12:1 through 2, through1 and 2. we read this all the time, Romans 12: 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service and of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is acceptable and perfect. Defer to God's will by surrendering yours. Trust in God's judgment. Defer to God's will. 1 Peter 4 and 10. Utilize. Listen to this. Utilize your skill set. Each and every single person sitting in this audience has a skill. God knows what your skill is. If you're not using your skill. You're just like The guy who buried his talent. You have a skill. Don't sit here and say with your arms folded, sitting in this pew every Sunday, this is all I can do. There's something you can. Some people can preach. Some people can teach. Some people can lead singing. Some people can do all three. I'm not one of them. But there are people that can do that. There's people who can teach one-on-one. There's people who can teach in a big class and not one-on-one. There's people who can't do either one, but they can organize a class. You think that's important? You gather the sheep and bring them in and somebody else can teach them. But you're doing something. You have a skill set for organization. It could be that your, your skill set is in the resource room of putting things together so that other people won't have as much trouble. Your skill set could be calling people and checking on them and going to see them and sitting down with them or taking them meals. But you have a skill set. God knows what it is. I would pray to you that you find out what it is and you start living up to what God expects you to be able to do. Because he knows you're going to stand in front of him one day. And he's going to say, I gave you the ability to do this. You did nothing. You didn't use it. You didn't use it. I gave you the skill. You had the ability and you sat on it. Ephesians 4 and 11, and he gave some apostles. We're talking some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, some do this, some do that, some do this somebody can do something somewhere you have the ability to do something get out of your seat get out of your comfort zone and go to work it's not going to come to you every time sometimes you have to go looking for it don't be a sluggard that leads you to poverty and the poverty in this case could be your soul Get busy, young people, old people. Where did y'all go? Nobody said you could retire. There's no retirement in the the Bible. I can't teach. I've taught class for 40 years. Now it's time for those young people to do it. No, it ain't. You don't get an exemption. There's no exemptions. If you have a skill set, use it. Uh, Yeah, preach to me. There's, and a beautiful part of this is in Exodus chapter 35. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't um, you know how you go A, B, C, D, E, F, G, just remember the alphabet. I have to do Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy every time I do this because it's the only way I can remember Exodus, Exodus, oh, I've lost myself. I think I'm right. I think I'm right. All right, I want to go to Exodus chapter 35. Perfect example of something. 35 and 30, follow me. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, 35 and 30, Exodus 35. See, the, the Lord has called by name Bezel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to designing gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and carving in wood for every work and every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both skill to every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. This man got it all, but he's teaching other people to do it. That could be you. You could be the one receiving the teaching. You know what? Submit to God's sovereignty. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Defer to God's will. Utilize your skill set. Submit to God's sovereignty. 1 Thessalonians 13. 1 through 3 and 7 and 8, and continuing on in that chapter, 1 Thessalonians 13. We could read all of that. I'm going to give you a synopsis. Stay committed. What's my motivation to stay committed? Well, your motivation ought to be that I've got eternal life in heaven. That ought to be the motivation. But guess what's the greatest motivator of all? What motivates you more than anything? Love, that's how you found your mate, your kids, you love them till they're 12. Love, what a, what a motivator, stay committed, don't give up. We've had a lot, not just here, everywhere, I've been out and I've, I've talked to other congregations and, and there's trouble everywhere in the church, folks. There's, there's people that's been faithful for a long, long time. And they're just, they're falling off. They're, they're living a life of sin. They're giving things up. They're just, they're leaving. And they don't have any regard for it. That's not your case. You're not that person. You're not those people. Even, and, and, and these are people that has been in church their whole life. Stay committed. Stay committed. Use love as the motivator. Stay committed. Love God. Love his word. Love your fellow brethren. Love the people as not your fellow brethren. Love. But watch the will of God. So watch the will of God. There's more than one verse that talks about the will of God. I'm going to go to a couple of them. But the will of God. Here's the will of God. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 1 through 4. In verse 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 4. In verse 3, it says, okay, verse 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 4. It says this, for this is the will of God. Well, that's pretty clear. This is the will of God, your sanctification, your setting apart, your living a life of holiness. This is the will of God, holy living is the will of God. John 6.40 says. For this is the will of my father. That everyone who looks on the son. And believes in him. Should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. The will of God. Is for you to live a holy life. That's the will of God. Young people. You may be offered a position. in um, it pays you $150,000 a year. That sounds nice. Here's the condition though. You got to move to Grand Isle, Nebraska. I, I've not been through Grand Isle, Nebraska. We've actually had projects there, but there's nothing there. It's just Grand Isle. It's out there. So you go up and you look and doing due diligence, you find that there's not a congregation in Grand Isle, Nebraska, but there's one an hour away, small congregation. So now you've got to make it and ask any. I bet you, I guarantee, I don't guarantee, but I'll bet somebody here has had to travel an hour to go worship. I, 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 I'll almost say that there's somebody who's lived in a place that had to get in their car, pack everybody up, and go an hour away to go find a sound congregation. That's difficult. Now you're in Grand Isle, Nebraska. You know what winters are like. So you got an hour's drive there. You got a two-hour class. You got an hour's drive back. You just ate up four hours of your day on Sunday. So. You got it Sunday night, so if you come home, you've got to travel back another hour. that don't make sense, so you just spend all day in this little town, wherever it's at. A lot of commitment here. Then you got Wednesdays. And then you got wintertime travel where you can get whiteouts just like that. Are you, are you sure? 150,000 dollars there is like super rich here. Is that really the commitment? Now, if you go out there and they say to you, of course, what's going to happen is first thing that's going to go is Wednesday nights. Can't make it. It's the first. The next thing to go will be Sunday nights. It's a lot of effort. So now you're down to Sundays. And how long will it be before Sundays? Just not a factor. So what if you go out there and you do that? And that's the conditions. But what the conditions are, brother, we're so glad you're here. We're looking to start a work in Grand Isle, Nebraska. Perhaps for you, this is God's will. It's righteous living. So investigate. $150,000 on the top, that's great money. At what cost? Or at what profit? The profit may be you have the ability to reach souls. Or the cost could be that you lose yours just for money. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18. If we were to read that, we're not because of time. Christian conduct. Remember, God's will, God's will for you to live, to be sanctified, to be set apart, to live a righteous and a holy life. That's God's will for you. When you say, Lord, we're going to do this and we're going to do that, if it's your will. The will is, if it's, if it's servicing God if it's servicing others because of your faith, then that is God's will. If it's it's you living a righteous life, when you say, Lord, if it's your will, then it is God's will. You don't have to guess at what it is. It's God's will. Don't be, you don't know what God's will is. God's will is for you to be a Christian. God's will is for you to be set apart. God's will is for you to live a holy life so that When he comes again, you'll have a home in heaven. That's God's will. The plan is in place. God's will is for you to execute. Have a plan. Be motivated. Be diligent. Don't give up. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. We won't read this, but it, it involves Christian conduct. If we read these verses, appreciate those working among you and have charge over you. Live in peace with one another. Admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks. That is God's will. When you say, Lord, if it's your will, it must fit the confines of what God's will is. And there they are. Uh, I have more, but we're, we're, we don't have time to get into it. And I want to appreciate your attention this morning. Remember that next week we we get Kevin, and, we, and we're anticipating. It's got to be a story, right? He's been with his family. So thank you so much. I appreciate your attention and your following me this morning. If you have anything that you want to say about this that you think I'm wrong or you want to question, please come to me. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll begin our services here in just a minute. Thank you.